Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. I'm Carl Mack, and this is Combat Chronicles. We're actually only going to talk about one fight today, but before that, a little bit of news. And that news is boxing related because this is a boxing episode. I'm sorry for the guys that are hoping to hear about the UFC card for the weekend. Might do a little bit about that on the Patreon. Um, And if you're looking forward to me following up last week's episode with a bit of Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, but that's not the boxing we're going to talk about today. If you want to hear about that, I'm going to cover that over on the Patreon. That episode should be out tomorrow. Um, but for now, I'm going to talk about one fight, one fight only. And that was the huge uh, light flyweight title unification today. But before that, a little bit of news because it's related to the fight that I'm going to talk about. And that news is that Bam Rodriguez, a fight that we've covered on this podcast more than once before, is vacating his WBC super flyweight title and moving down to flyweight. Now, his achievements as super flyweight uh, cannot be understated given who he's beaten. And given the fact he jumped up from light flyweight on short notice to 115, I always thought that maybe he can still make the cut to the uh, lower weight classes. He's going down the flyweight. Uh, he's going to let his uh, brother, Josh Franco, probably try and fight the winner of uh, Roman Gonzalez and Juan, Fris- uh, Juan Francisco Estrada in their rubber match, which is coming up in December. I'd prefer to see Bam up at 115 fighting those guys, but whatever. Um, the reason that's somewhat notable is the fight I'm going to be talking about today. As I say, light flyweight title fight. Um, huge fight from Japan today. For posterity's sake, I'm recording this on the uh, 1st of November. But the bout was between the uh, WBC light flyweight champion Ken Shiro fighting the uh, WBA and ring champion Hiroko Gucci. Now, the reason the Bam Rodriguez thing is somewhat notable is a couple of years back, I wrote uh, a piece uh, for a site that I used to work for about why Light flyweight, that's £108 for those that are unaware. In boxing, was the best uh, division in the weight class. And I broke it down in tears because uh, the article was for a mooted uh, World Boxing Super Series about these, uh, you know, for those that, again, for those that are unaware, the Sauerland brothers put on uh, tournaments at, uh, what was it, Cruiserway. We had, uh, did they do one at Everyway? And they were speaking about it. But the main one was cruiserweight, bantamweight. Obviously, now you're in your way for Anita Donair in the bantamweight final. There was a cruiserweight one as well. Did we also have we had super middleweight, um, which was the, the final was Chris Eubank Jr. and uh, George Groves, I think. Um, wasn't a great tournament. Wasn't a great uh, field. No, it wasn't. Of course, that wasn't the final. Of course, that wasn't the final. It was Callum Smith and George Groves. Of course, that wasn't the final. George Groves... Uh, beat Chris Eubank Jr., injured his shoulder, and then Callum Smith beat him in the final. Pulled that out somewhere. Um, but I mooted that light flyweight would have been a great one for the tournament. And amongst the fighters that I 
mentioned, um, and I broke it into uh, left side of the bracket, which was champions, and right side of the bracket, which was sort of prospects and contenders and that sort of thing. Because the idea is that in the World Boxing Super Series, the champions come out and they pick someone from the other bracket to fight. So, for example, Alexander Usyk, he picked Marco Hook to fight in the first round of the Cruiserweight tournament, which he famously went on to win and unify all the bouts. Um, but one of the guys I mentioned, I sort of had uh, former title contenders on the right-hand side bracket, and then I came up with some uh, other ones called Too Much Too Soon. And this was prospects, much like when Andre Ward was brought into the uh, Super 6 tournament at Super Middleweight, and Andre Durrell as well. Guys that were seen as sort of maybe not ready for the top top, but they threw him in there, and some of them thrived. And one of them was a young kid called Bam Rodriguez. Uh and I said, talented American fighters in the lower divisions are generally hard to come by. Rodriguez has the looks and the skill to be a rare marketable fighter in the lower weight classes. Could he be poised for a breakout just as Andre Ward had in the Super 6 all those years ago? Now, perhaps prescient, uh, but it turns out Bam Rodriguez was absolutely shit hot. Was due for a breakout. Ended up being uh, two weight classes north. Um, I wrote this article at the beginning of... Uh, lockdown essentially, and the first two seeds, and so number one and two seeds were, drum roll please, will I edit in a drum roll? Of course I won't. Uh, first seed was Ken Shiro, and the second seed was Hiroto Kaiguchi. Now, let's just talk about, I'm just going to read what I wrote about these guys, um, to see how right I was about them going into this fight, because a lot actually happened um, between me writing this article and the uh, the fight itself. This is what I said about Ken Shiro. WBC champ, 17-0, 10 KOs. Babyface WBC champ Kenshiro Taraji is the marquee name at light flyweight. With seven title defences to his name and an ever-improving skill set, this tall champ has set his sights on breaking Yoko Gushikin's title defence record before he moves up in weight. Known for a superb jab, arguably the best pound-for-pound -pound jab in boxing right now, and solid power, Kenshiro mixes his shots up well to head and body and is a fine ring general. Of his 10 knockouts, 5 have come in his world title belts. However, do not be fooled by his teenage face. He is 28 years old and will need to get to the big fight soon if he is to make the most out of his ability. With wins over Gannigan Lopez, Pedro Guevara, Milan Melindo, Jonathan Taconin and Randy Petalcorin, the champ already has a solid resume but the big fights have eluded him thus far. A mooted fight with the second seed would be my hope for the final of this tournament but even a fighter of Kenshiro's quality would have to wade through fire to get there first. That is the beauty of staging a tournament in this division. Then I said, why should the WBSS consider him? Their prior foray into Japan for the Naya Inoue Nonito Danea Season 2 final was a huge success. The Japanese fans love their boxing and Kenshiro is a popular fighter. Also, the promoters are no strangers to Kenshiro as he featured on the same card as Naya Inoue's famous first round knockout of Juan Carlos Piano. Skill-wise, Kenshiro is arguably an elite fighter and great to watch as well. Then I moved on to the second seed, who as I said earlier was Hiroto Kaiguchi, WBA and Ring Magazine champion, 14-0 with 9 KOs. This was that time of writing. Kaiguchi is the number one ranked fighter in the division by holding the ring belt, but I've knocked him down to the second seed for a few reasons. He's younger than Kenshiro by two years, has less fights overall and has spent less time in the division. If anyone were to argue Kaiguchi should be first seed, I wouldn't really argue. A skilled fighter who pressures well and throws excellent combinations in the pocket, Kaiguchi is a four-year pro who won the IBF £105 title, that's straw weight, only a year after making his debut. 
taking top honours in the light flyweight class with an impressive dissection over long-time belt holder Hecky Budler, himself a former strawweight champion. Kyle Gucci has made two defences since. An impressive one over unbeaten Thai boxer Satan Munlek, who Muay Thai fans will know, and against countryman and domestic champ Tetsuya Hisada. The fight with Hisada was arguably the toughest fight he's had yet as a light flyweight champ. Caught both inside and exit in the pocket was concerning, but Kaiguchi showed championship metal to get back into the fight and was excellent down the stretch. Why the WBSS should consider him? See Ken Shiro and imagine how big an event a final between those two for all the belts would be, if they both make it. For his qualities as a fighter, Kaiguchi is one of the best combination punches the division has seen since Roman Gonzalez left it in 2012. Now, there were a few misses, I'm not going to lie. I thought Alwyn Soto would have a really good chance, and he's lost since. Um, I liked Felix Alvarado as an outsider. He's now moving up the flyweight. A lot's happened, but it's actually a lot's happened to these fighters, and especially Ken Shiro. In the last couple of years, Ken Shiro's had a bit of a roller coaster. Um, now 30 years old. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Ken Shiro, between um, my article and this fight actually happening, he also fought Hisada. Um, he was arrested for drink driving. I think at the time it was almost like he entered someone's property, but I think he drove onto someone's drive, smashed their car up or whatever. And he actually got banned by the JBC, the Japan Boxing Commission, for three months. So, um, yeah, it was clear that he had problems outside the ring and uh, not a good look by any means in Japan. Uh, and then he took two attempts to beat uh, Masamichi Yabuki in the first fight, got tired, battered, stopped on his... Uh, did he get stopped on his feet? Well, he got stopped anyway in the 10 rounds. Um, and then uh, that was in September 2021. Screwed his head on earlier on this year. Uh, won the bout back with a really resounding uh, third round KO. So won the bout back, setting up the fight with Kaiguchi. Um, Kaiguchi himself just been sort of ticking over, really covid crush these guys for a while because Japan unlike a lot of countries really did take a while to get back to a, a lot of events and, and that sort of thing so um, they've been a lot safer than, than a lot of places so it took a little while uh, I don't really think that Kaiguchi did much in the last couple of years uh, a couple of defences um, since I wrote that article nothing too impressive uh, Esteban Mimudez was the, the last one so yeah it was you know Pretty standard stuff for a champion, although Bermudez was coming off a really impressive win over Carlos Canazales. It was a fight I really rated highly, and I really rated him highly in that article. So, um, again, there's one of my guys that didn't necessarily pan out. I thought he was going to, um, but, you know, as I say, at the time, that was the uh, that was how I sort of rated him. And it turns out that although these guys didn't go through fire to get to where I wanted them to get to, which is um, interesting because... The idea of that tournament format was that all the best will fight the best and eventually you get two really well-proven guys fighting off for all the marbles. Um, unifications down at light flyweight are rare. Unifications between Japanese fighters are even rarer. So we should be happy we got this fight. And the fact of the matter is, although they haven't been, uh, you know, they're not both battle-tested to the point that they've got this glittering resume of quality fighters and actually the big fights haven't really happened down at 108. Uh, for reasons I mentioned earlier with COVID and other such things and maybe fighters that we rated not panning out how we expected them to. We just got the big fight. We got Ken Shiro versus Kaiguchi, number one and two seed on my list and a unification bout between two absolutely brilliant fighters. So does it really matter if we got the big one? Well, you know, I would still like to see more fights and maybe uh, given the result of this fight, we might not actually see 
many more big fights that like flow out. As I said earlier, Felix Alvarado's moving up as well. Um, he was IBF champ, and so it's not really going the way I hope it to. But we did get this fight between Kenshiro and Kaiguchi, and how did it go? Well, how it went was impressive. It was interesting to watch play out. There's a lot to talk about this fight from a technical standpoint. We're going to do it after a break. First and foremost, of course, if you're not already signed up to the Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. Exclusive content coming this week, and then a huge one later on in the month, the Guide to Pride 1. Anyone who keeps hearing me say this will go, for fuck's sake, is that still not out? You waited for me on the Miguel Torres documentary. You can tell the amount of care and effort that's put into this. I will not give you a substandard product. It will be... Uh, the best I can do. I'm writing it. Production won't take as long. It's the writing's going to take a long time with this one. You know, the Guide to Pride one, uh, for you uh, boxing fans and MMA fans, it's essentially, in order to get to the story of Pride 1, I kind of had to tell the story of the history of MMA itself. So it's a little bit of a long-winded one. I know you won't be disappointed. It's going to be probably the coolest thing I've ever produced as a, as a writer or podcaster. So head on over to Patreon and sign up for that one. And as I say... Going to be a podcast this week on the Jake Paul Anderson Silver fight if you're at all interested in that. But you get access to the archives as well, including the aforementioned Miguel Torres documentary. Little moment now for ad break um, to help keep the lights on. And then I'll be back to talk about the big fight between Kenshiro and Kaiguchi. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, unfortunately, the fight was not really the two-way technical I was expecting. That's maybe not that fair, but one of the guys didn't really play his part. I was expecting him to, but one of the guys fought out of his skin. But there were enough moments in this fight as well as a round of the year contender, that I still think it lived up to some of the promise. 
But the result was uh, Ken Shiro won by seventh round knockout and looked absolutely incredible. And I'm going to talk about some of the things he did, some of the things that Kyle Gucci didn't do so well, and then kind of what it means for Ken Shiro's legacy at 108 pounds, which is actually historically one of my favourite divisions. Um, I noted obviously earlier on when I read my when I read out the report that I wrote on Ken Shiro a couple of years back at the beginning of the lockdown how great his jab was and there's absolutely no doubt about it whatsoever his jab was the standout in this fight and the variety of which he deployed his left hand set up everything else. Um, got to kind of talk about just sort of talk out loud, think out loud about things that I saw and then maybe go off on tangents here and there about here and there about what actually happened in this fight and then try and tell the whole story of the fight. But essentially, Ken Shiro bossed the fight with his jab, was constantly moving. Um, he was uh, tough to pressure and gave Kaiguchi different looks. He would jab on his own, he'd do a 1-2, stepping behind the 1-2 with the left hook, then stepping back out. He'd build on the jab with combos, then reverting back to the simple stuff. And he gave Kaiguchi so many different reads, he was impossible to really get a good grasp on and any good looks. Um, you know, he'd throw four or five punch combinations. Next thing you know, he's just popping off the jab, stepping around, and Kaiguchi's constantly having to think about how to pressure him. Um, and that was the problem, actually. He couldn't get inside the jab enough to let his hands go consistently. I mentioned earlier, Kaiguchi likes to build into pressure, eventually let off some really nice combinations. In this fight, low output, low percentage game plan of trying cross counters, uh, which Kenshiro's taller, longer, that sort of rapier-like jab, very hard to consistently cross-counter. He had some success with it. Um, another thing Kai Gucci was trying to do was try and create collisions where actually trying to step on the outside, uh, step get his head on the outside of Kenshiro's right hand and time of the right hand as he leaned forward. And that's the thing with Kenshiro. As he was getting more and more comfortable with the jab, he was falling over his, uh, his knee a little bit, over his front foot a little bit, uh, was maybe leaning over a little bit as he dropped the right hand in and then was a bit more open to counters. But again, not consistently enough for Kaiguchi to be able to work consistently and actually win rounds or have uh, sort of continued success. Um and Kaiguchi as well, high guard, wasn't proactive enough with feints or throwaways, could not disrupt Kenshiro enough. He was able to maintain accuracy with his jab because of Kaiguchi's uh, lack of different looks. So Kenshiro constantly able to pepper him. He was too upright, um, but not upright Kaiguchi because he comes from a lower sense of gravity, but sort of static, straight on, um, not proactive enough with his, with his movement. And as I said, he was sort of waiting for Kenshiro to overextend rather than try and uh, feint him out, trying to give him uh, different looks, cause Kenshiro to fall down in terms of accuracy because he was unsure of what he was doing. And actually, that jab is just so accurate that Kenshiro was constantly able to build on it. Um, another good thing Kenshiro really did was actually baited the jab. So he would, would lean in the jab, bait Kaiguchi in the throw in his own jab, then slip, uh, and then either hit him with another jab or, or walk him into the right hand, or just slip backwards. So jab, wait for the um, bait him for the, the reply, so making him think that it's more uh, comfortable. So if Kenshiro's jabbing at range, at long range, Kaiguchi wasn't throwing. Therefore, Kenshiro maybe wasn't getting the looks that he wanted. So if he then jab him from shorter range, a bit of like a half jab, then Kaiguchi would think, oh, now I can hit him. And when he would do that, that's what Kenshiro's waiting for. He'd step out, then boom. Walk him into a right hand or a stiff jab um, and just basically create better offense by causing Kaiguchi to overextend. But my fear was that Kenshiro was doing too much too early because he really was trying to pile the pressure on Kaiguchi. And in the fifth round, he dropped him with a right hand and then really tried to pile it on and get him out of there. And what happened was Kenshiro got tired 
as he did in that aforementioned loss. And the fifth round, Kawaguchi really piled on the pressure late, was able to push Kenshiro back to the ropes for the first time in the fight consistently and hit him with a barrage of shots. And then when that range was short, and then he was able to fire the right hand over the top and land consistently. And Kenshiro's defense really was not very impressive. He was completely upright and static. Kawaguchi managed to batter him back to the ropes. Still a 10-8 in my opinion. Could easily be a 10-9, but I thought Kenshiro did enough good work in the early round, really piled it on, land loads of big shots, that the fight back in the end of the fifth round didn't change it from a 10-8 to a 10-9. Um, but you could argue 10-9. What I will not dispute is one of the best rounds of the year, bar none. The interesting thing about uh, Kaiguchi's success is the, the, the two rounds in which he had the most success are the rounds he got dropped in. One, he had the most success... After he got dropped, which is the fifth round, that brilliant round. And then the final round, he had some success before he got dropped. Um, in between that, Kenshiro really showed his maturity and savvy and uh, sort of championship class. Because, as I said, at the end of the fifth round, he looked to be tailing off. And I started to worry about him to think, God, he's had these five excellent rounds. He's dropped Kaiguchi and then he's going to throw it all away. He's going to capitulate under the pressure. Um, but no, he's got back to jabbing. Sixth round was a pretty... Low-key round, not much happened. Uh, Kaiguchi was not able to uh, build on his success, and Kenshiro got back to sort of jabbing him up. Seventh round, he came back on strong, um, and then Kenshiro just battered him with a salvo of punches, again, building off the jab, pounded him, dropped him heavily uh, against the ropes, and the, the fight was immediately waved off. And just an incredible uh, performance by Kenshiro. Uh, excellent combination punching, excellent range management, brilliant jab. As I said, truly one of the best jabs in boxing. I really do stand by that. Um, that hasn't got worse over the last uh, couple of years. He, he is absolutely brilliant. And finally, picks up the marquee win that he's been after. How much of a marquee win is it really if we're going to say that Kawaguchi uh, clearly was... I don't want to say levels below, because he wasn't like outclassed completely. Um, he, he appeared to... Uh, be devoid of ideas in certain phases of the fight um, was somewhat overawed maybe but it's not like he had no success whatsoever he clearly you know if Kenshiro is this amazing brilliant fighter then Kaiguchi had him rattled at the end of that fifth round and to some extent at the beginning of the seventh round so it's not like he was completely outclassed um, the fact that he was beaten essentially at all uh, ranges in the end is somewhat disconcerting but Based on what I've seen of Kaiguchi before, I definitely think even with his uh, lack of uh, marquee wins, he was clearly a quality operator and therefore a really solid win. For me, Kenshiro's best. It meant a lot, this fight. Um, I think they've got history back to the amateurs. Um, I think Kenshiro was just... that. It's that jab. It's a brilliant jab. He's got the sort of... Uh, he's almost got a kind of... Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this because a fighter I, I revere amongst most others. A fighter that I have in the top 50 of all time. But in terms of the sort of uh, dexterity of his left hand and how he uses it, got a bit of Mike Spinks about him in terms of the variety of that left hand and how he uses it to set up the right hand and, and the left hook that comes off of that. So really like what Kanshiro does. Um, he's not quite Mike Spinks. I mean, that was what, probably the most cultured left hand I've ever seen. But fantastic. Ramrod jab. A little bit, okay, scale it back a bit. Bit of a soul mambi, but with... Better offense, I think. Salmanbi was uh, was rare to open up with his big right hand. Kenshiro does it more often. And as I alluded to earlier on, he's got better and better uh, in his title run in terms of stopping people. Uh, and I think 
That loss aside, he really has bounced back. He's clearly still banging his prime. He's got his head screwed on, and he's just pulled off a brilliant win over a fighter who... And I wish I'd done a preview now. Uh, I wasn't here last week. I wish I'd done a preview. I would have bet on Kenshiro's jab being the difference, but I've, I saw a tight distance fight. And what we saw here was essentially, bar a couple of sequins, a demolition job. And that's what makes it more impressive. You might not think that Kaiguchi, based on this fight and other fights he's had, even given his lofty status as ring champion and WBA champ, and the fact that even though you know, a few scares aside, he's been he's been absolutely quality and stellar in his undefeated run, you might not think that, okay, he's not a, a top, top, top tier elite win, based on what we saw in this fight and other fights, but to smash him in this fashion makes it a top tier win. The opponent might not be, but... Coupled with the performance, really, really impressive. And I guarantee if you did a straw poll before this fight, uh, a lot of fans would have been, I say a lot of fans, how many fans are there of the lower weight classes? Probably only the smart people that listen to this podcast. I'm looking at you. Someone's non-plus right now going, I ain't got a fucking clue what you're talking about. This is the worst episode of the year. I don't know who these tiny Japanese fighters are and why am I caring about fighters that weigh less than eight stone on the scale. But trust me, they're brilliant. Find the fight on YouTube, watch it. Ken Shiro, maybe not one of the best pound-for-pound pound fighters in terms of top five, top ten, but certainly in the top 15, especially after this one. Uh, now got two titles. He's probably going to move up to flyweight. Um, I hope not. I hope he stays at 108. There are still interesting fights to make. Um, I just think that this fight would have mattered more, or any fight would have mattered more, if all the best fighters had fought each other first. But as I say, down at light flyweight, very rare we get unifications. So we should be really pleased about this one and just happy that it happened. The question is, of course, now, what is Ken Shiro's legacy at £108? If he does move up or if he retires or whatever, because you never know with uh, fighters from East Asia, they could just up sticks and, and jack at any random point. But you may be surprised, but 108 itself has is, actually got a really rich history. Uh, flyweight has been historically stacked. Um, so the, uh, the weight class of £108 was uh, created to sort of split those fighters. They were often fighters weighing way less than 112 pounds, competing for titles. Yes, absolutely governing bodies, greedy, making more titles and more divisions to make more money. But at the time of 108 pounds uh, inception in what, late 70s, absolutely valid to make that weight class and has had some fantastic fighters. Matter of fact, for much of the 80s, probably the best fighter at 108 and 112 was Jungkook Chang. He was probably the, the best fighter going uh, and one of the best pound-for-pound pound fighters of the 80s, in my opinion. Um, far and away, the, the greatest light fly, flyweight of all time, in my opinion. But if you look through the fantastic fighters that have passed through the division over the years, Roman Gonzalez, who I said earlier, of course, Yoko Gushikin, who I mentioned earlier, Arvin Calderon, and then Giovanni Segura, uh, Mungwo Yu, who I mentioned earlier as well, Michael Carbajal, Chiquita Gonzalez, and go on and on and on. There's lots of quality fighters that have fought at 108. Um, you may think, oh, well, ring belt WBA, WBC, very rare for a light flyweight champion to have that. But as I said, Ken Shiro's got a sort of decent, uh, sort of B-roll cast of fighters. Um... And not enough A-class fighters, even if we put Kaiguchi in that tier, which I think he very well could be, even given my reservations about his previous uh, level opposition and his performance in this fight. Going to definitely lean towards Kenshiro being brilliant rather than Kaiguchi being bad. So that's a marquee win. It's an impressive one. It's definitely one uh, that pushes Kenshiro into the sort of top 20 to 15 range, in my opinion, of the top 108 pounders of all time. And 
I've never really been that sold on Yoko Gushkin and his opposition myself, although he's held up um, in Japan as one of their greatest fighters. Um, so, you know, even he necessarily wasn't in my... Well, he was in my top 10 light flyweights. Let me just be a little bit more precise. I spoke about the great depth at flyweight, but actually there's been not that much great depth at uh, 105-pound strawweight. Um, there's often been at 108. Pretty much anyone worth their salt at 105 has also fought at 108. Uh, Ricardo Lopez, who's another guy who's uh, who's fought at 108 and, you know, held up by uh, many as one of the, the great fighters of the uh, 90s. That would be a whole um, other podcast, I think. Um, and and aforementioned uh, Ivan Calderon and uh, there's a lot of uh, quality fighters who have passed through 105, but generally they've also fought at 108 as well. So I've got a bit of a combined uh, weight class rankings that I do, um, where I basically include your achievements at 105 at 108 and make a combined ranking for both. I actually do this with heavyweight as well and cruiserweight. Um, that's a whole other discussion. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, hit me up on Twitter at CombatCR, but that's a really long one, um, which goes into the whole history of boxing. Um, because again, any crew, there ain't really enough great cruiserweights to have a top 10 at the weight class. Same as straw weight, um, at least now. And any cruiserweight worth their salt is fought heavyweight. So don't really, I combine all those wins. And there's so much more to it well in terms of previous size of heavyweights and whatnot. And, you know, we're going way off track. But it kind of gives you an idea of how I do my rankings. And my historical rankings are important for boxing because... They allow me to talk about the eras of boxing, how they work, the ins and outs of them, the depth of the fighters, the quality of the fighters. Um, oftentimes, rankings seem as sort of uh, a way, or just sort of frivolous, and I've said that before, at pound-for-pound rankings. But in terms of divisional rankings, by telling the story of the divisional greats, we can actually uh, see a whole picture of that division over history. And um, 105 and 108, essentially been sort of around since the 70s and 80s, um, uh, 105 came later 108 came first um, I've somewhat depleted the flyweight class but as I said plenty of quality fighters uh, to go around even now as humans get bigger still plenty of brilliant fighters to go around jockey sized fighters Ken Shiro's one of them um, if it was just 108 he'd probably be in the top sort of 15 to 10 range maybe 10, top 10 for sure if we're doing combined rankings we're talking maybe 25 to 15. I think it's absolutely fair. Don't want to be recency bias. If we take that out of the equation in terms of boxing right now, um, I saw uh, Lukash, uh, who writes for Bloody Elbow, he said earlier that if uh, Bivol had not beaten Canelo, this would probably be locked on as one of the best performances of the year. I'm completely in full agreement uh, with him on that. Um, I think his handle is Crafty Boxing. Um, it used to be anyway, so hit him up. Really good at boxing follow. Um, I'm with him on that. I think that I still think it's one of the best performances of the year, but I'm going to lean towards Bivol versus Canelo, obviously. When it comes to the end of the year awards, I imagine that's what it's going to be. There's a couple months to go just yet. One of the rounds of the year for sure. The round five of uh, of this fight. Um, brilliant, brilliant round um, for sure. Uh, and I think that, you know, Kenshiro, he's finally sort of reached his promise. Interested to see what he does next, um, but for now, all the uh, all the spoils to the victor, and I'm not sure where Kaguchi's going to go from here.
but I'm really glad that the fight happened and I hope you guys get to check it out and I hope the sort of breakdown of why Kenshiro won, I wouldn't say effortlessly because he had to be on point, he had to do a lot of things to keep Kaiguchi occupied and he did have to come through fire a couple of times, but generally, given the high level nature of the fight and the sort of anticipation going in and my own sort of thoughts that it would have been a sort of more back and forth battle, as I say, that performance, absolutely brilliant. Kenshiro, whatever you think about him legacy-wise or pound-for-pound-wise or whatever, for me right now, based on uh, CV, he's the number one light flyweight in the world. So, in a way, I got what I wanted uh, those couple of years back when I wrote that article. Uh, I wanted to see the one and two seed eventually sort of fight their way for everyone. Didn't get to see that, but I got to see one and two fight each other. So, in a way, the whole era was not for nothing. I hope you didn't think this episode was for nothing either and you enjoyed it. Um, you may notice that conspicuous by his absence is uh, Vasily Lomachenko. Uh, I watched that fight, not really a huge amount to say uh, in terms of uh, sort of meaningful win or anything. I might go into it on more on the uh, patron Jake Paul Anderson Silver one because I think there is something to be said about where Lomachenko is at his career. But for me, this fight was so important, this light flyweight fight, that I just want to focus on Ken Shiro and, and Kaiguchi in this one. And that'll do it for this episode. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you enjoyed the fight if you got to see it. Let me know your thoughts over on Twitter at CombatCR. Hopefully I'll see you guys on the Patreon as well. And until the next episode, wherever that may be, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 